No, you tell it. No, you. I'm not telling it. You should totally tell it. <laughs> well, you should tell it. No, you tell it. Hello, and welcome to Know You Tell It, a hybrid story incubator slash performance series. Each Know You Tell It participant develops their own nonfiction piece on the page, then switches with a partner to perform each other's work on stage. Because nothing informs your story like hearing someone else perform your story. Kicking off the second half of our Mayday show, Angela Cobb's story is a romantic liaison set against the backdrop of Hurricane Sandy. After the storm subsides, she finds the attempt to recapture that intimacy fraught. And even the best laid plans might require a plan B. Ryan Holmes performs. Angela, yes, hello. Angela. I have a question for you. I know, I've always trying to Tony Danza up too much, but uh, I've seen Angela perform the QED. You host your own storytelling monthly event coming up on the 16th in May. It's a stand-up storytelling show all about people's first times. And I'm not going to ask you about your first time for obvious reasons, but uh, I am going to ask you, I've always been really curious with stand-up, especially when you go and you have longer sets, like, have you ever had a time where you really had to go to the bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> and, or, or, like, some other bodily thing that's, like, you just really had to muscle through? I mean, no. it might not be the so, best choice of words. But. No, no. <laughs> uh, so, no, I, uh, it's funny. So, I haven't actually had, like, that impulse to do it, but I, I'm the type of person who usually... If I have to go to the bathroom, like, and it's too close to when I'm about to go on, uh-huh. and particularly, like, when I'm hosting a show, too, because I'm always worried that, like, you know, a comic could have, like, 15 minutes, but I'm worried, like, oh, my God, what if he gets off stage early and I'm in the bathroom and then no one's going to be there, you know? So I, I usually, like, will hold it and then go after if I have to, you know what I mean? And, like, I actually recently did a show where I did a long 45-minute set, and it was out in Long Island, and uh, I was walking from the train station, he was texting me, the guy, the producer, he's like, oh, we're going to probably end a little earlier than, than we expect. I was like, oh, all right, so I get there. So I literally just, like, got there, took my jacket and my backpack off. You know, I'm on the, I was on the train for Oh, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm, so I get on stage, and then afterwards, I'm like, all right, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> 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 yeah, because I've always just kind of wondered. That's so like, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Now, now <laughs> next time you see me in the audience, one of your shows, you'll be like, she's just wondering if I have to go to the So we're going to hear Plan B, written by Angela Cobb and performed by Ryan Plan B. So I lost my virginity at 25 during Hurricane Sandy to another comedian 27 years older than me. And because I don't do anything gradually, within the next two weeks, I purchased my first monostat and my first Plan B. I'm going to tell you about the latter. (laughs) Hurricane Sandy was beautiful. Uh, Time and life stood still, and some of Frank's misgivings about pursuing a physical relationship with me began to fade, as our age difference eroded like Long Beach. When we got back to his apartment the night before the storm hit, he jokes from the kitchen while opening up our Chinese food, "Uh, So at my funeral, I want them to say only three things. He was a brilliant comic, fantastic in bed, and nice, when no one was watching. (laughs) Then he turns on the TV, and we decide on Moonstruck as the perfect backdrop. Lying in his arms, I feel his left hand slowly glide underneath my shirt and begin to gently graze over the skin of my back. As our clothed bodies rub against each other, I feel a yearning and a powerlessness that both scares and exhilarates my former tomboy. I'm starting to understand what Frank told me a few days ago. Sex is when you just melt into the other person. Do you want me to melt you? (laughs) As our clothes come off and I get on top of him, he reassures me, 
Don't be afraid of it. There's nothing you can do wrong. With that, I feel the man I had waited a quarter of a century for glide into me. As I thrust into him with aching, intense hunger, my eyes stare directly into his kitchen. I look back down at him, and he says, You're having sex, and you're fucking great at it. I smile as my heart soars and my spine arches, displaying what he had called such a beautiful body a few days prior. But still so insecure and unsure of my abilities, I ask, Does it feel good to you? To which he enthusiastically replies, Are you kidding? I'm the luckiest guy in the world right now. You're gorgeous. Happily rolling over beside him and sliding into his arms, we both focus on the scene in the movie where the old couple is looking at La Luna, and the woman comments to her husband gazing out the window, You know, in that light, with that look on your face, you look 25 years old. And in that moment, Frank, a man who had once referred to himself as the comedy equivalent of Lou Gossett Jr. in An Officer and a Gentleman, releases a genuine... Aww. <laughs> Looking adorable in his sweatpants and Obama Biden t-shirt, Frank reassures me that he wants me to spend the night. And as I open my eyes the next morning, it crosses my mind that if my life ended in that moment, I'd die finally feeling beautiful. Soon realizing the storm was more intense than either of us had anticipated, we also soon realized that neither one of us care. Seconds blend into minutes, minutes blend into hours, hours blend into days. Every inch of you is perfect, he utters, caressing my thigh. You feel how bad I want to fuck you. How beautiful I think you are, he asks, as I feel the power of his body on top of me. You're stunning like this, he tells me, while I'm donning his oversized hoodie. I laugh. He stops me. Angela... Now is not the time to be a self-effacing comic. Right now, you're a beautiful woman, and you're underneath me. <laughs> it's like I'm fucking a statue, he says, his beautiful brown eyes gazing directly into mine. You make me feel like a work of art, I gasp through tears. And finally, I evaporate beneath the weight of him as he whispers in my ear, Is this how you imagined it? Is this what you dreamed about? We have fun together. We watch a documentary on the ancient Mayans while he calls himself a nerd. We catch a special on the Kennedys while he sighs, There was so much optimism back then. <laughs> we laugh hysterically as we play We Fit, and I feel his chest rise and fall under my head. The smell of Marlboro lights lingering as he feeds me candy from Rehoboth Beach. But in between the moments of bliss, Frank still expressed his doubts and concerns. The age difference, the virginity, the fact that he was once my comedy teacher. When I admit that I never thought he could want me, he replies, See, you say that and it just makes me feel like I'm going to break your heart. No matter how much fun we were having, in the quiet moments, the fear and wisdom of a weathered man beaten around by comedy and life persisted. You're gorgeous. I, I just don't want to hurt you. I, I like you too much. When the taxis are finally up and running again, Frank sadly looks at me and admits, You know, I really am going to miss you. I tell him I'll call him when I get home. He insists, insists call me the second you get home. 
and as we walk to the corner, I see him stretching the rubber band I'd used to tie my hair up across his hand. He kisses me, and uh, through the window of the cab, I see him waving both hands goodbye as I'm driven off to Brooklyn, and as I gaze out of the rain-speckled window at the city lights along the BQE, I feel a lump in my throat. I'm in the last scene of some movie. Old standards like every time we say goodbye and for all we know should be playing. The credits should roll a perfect ending. Movies know when to end. <laughs> Lovers, on the other hand, do not. And every bubble must eventually burst. The result of our hurricane sex fest was understandably me getting a case of what they used to call the honeymoon disease, and so our time spent together in the week following Sandy was very sweet. A lot of cuddling, eating nachos, and dry humping against the backdrop of the 2012 presidential election. So when my little situation downstairs clears up and we can have sex again, I tell him, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. That's what I said. <laughs> because I'm so romantic. But I was also really nervous because time is no longer standing still and real life is back. As I leave an open mic, he calls me and goes, I don't have any condoms. Can you be a grown-up and go buy some? <laughs> now, here's the thing. I was a virgin for 25 years, so I loved getting condoms. <laughs> I, 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 I wanted confetti to fall. I was also a tomboy as a kid, so I bought those condoms with such swagger, it wasn't even funny. I was like, bam, magnums, like I was the one wearing them. <laughs> I get back to his place, and uh, my fears are confirmed, because as we attempt to get intimate, he becomes frustrated, impatient, and angry with me. He dismissively says, get dressed, we're done and goes into the kitchen to smoke a cigarette. At this point, I'm very scared. And it hits me. The hurricane is over. And he's him. And I have to deal with the fact that he's another comic who's 27 years older than me, who's a recovering alcoholic, who can kind of be a bit of a dick. <laughs> the sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach makes the inequality of our situation all too clear, because while part of me is another comic with an ego of my own, quick to give a smart-ass retort, another part of me trembles with the fear of a fan asking John Lennon for his autograph, unsure whether they'll be encountering the vulnerable, peace-promoting pacifist or the egomaniac who hit his first wife. But we attempted to have sex again, this time in missionary, the position post-virginity lost me is most comfortable with. And after being inside me for about 45 seconds and telling me how good I feel, he suddenly realizes he's not wearing a condom, and he freaks out. He starts going, oh my god, I'm very scared right now, stop talking, I'm very scared right now. <laughs> and there we are, both of us sitting naked on his futon, and he continues to panic. I was mature enough to tell you to buy the condoms, but I wasn't mature enough to put one on. Meanwhile, I'm just like, we ordered pizza. Where's, where's the pizza? <laughs> and all these catastrophic scenarios start coming into his head. Oh my God, it's almost Thanksgiving. That means you'd have to have an abortion around Christmas time. How could you even look at me after that? Now, to recap, 
This is a comic in his 50s who's banged hundreds of chicks and on the road who once had a reputation for sleeping with every female comic. I'm 25 and I just had sex for the first time two weeks ago, but he's the one freaking out? <laughs> so putting aside my concern with the whereabouts of our pizza, I kind of nonchalantly suggest, look, we could just get plan B. And he responds, oh, what's that, like the morning at the pill, right? At which point he busts out his laptop and starts Googling Plan B. And we're on the website, and there's a stock photo of a woman looking all stressed out. And he's like, oh, honey, I, I don't want that to be you. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, the pizza, the pizza. <laughs> so Frank scrolls down and looks at the rate of effectiveness versus how quickly a person takes the pill. Meanwhile, I'm saying, I can just go get it tomorrow on the way to work. But he's all, no, what if there's side effects? I don't want you to be in pain. No, but apparently he doesn't mind if I'm in hunger. <laughs> so off we go. On Operation Emergency Contraceptive. He suggests there's a 24-hour CVS on Ditmars. This is three subway stops away. But because time is apparently of the essence, we take a cab. And I don't hear old standards playing in the background during this cab ride. <laughs> More like Billy Joel's Pressure or Rock You Like a Hurricane. <laughs> and once we get there, Frank goes from a panicked sense of urgency to, you go do your thing, I'm going to look at Christmas decorations. <laughs> now, being a virgin for 25 years, I'm excited to be eligible for Plan B. <laughs> so I go up to the counter, and it's around 10.30 at night, and I say, uh, yeah, I'd like to buy some Plan B. And without missing a beat, the pharmacist just goes, let me see if I have any left. <laughs> and it's in these types of moments that I become my father. I so just wanted to be like, rough night, eh, pharmacist? Uh, a lot of girls <laughs> slutting it up in the Astoria Dittmar's area. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got the plan B. And since time is no longer of the essence, we walk back to his place, take a lovely stroll down 31st Street, the... Subway tracks quaking above us. <laughs> and at that point, he just looks at me and goes, You know, you're very hot. And uh, that's why I was so concerned. Because I was only inside of you for like two seconds and I felt the troops starting to rally. <laughs> Again, much like me, so romantic. <laughs> so we get back to his apartment. Uh, and the pizza finally did arrive, I should mention. Mm -hmm. And apparently nausea is one of the side effects, so Frank jokes, oh, that's going to go real great with the cheese and pepperoni. But I take the pill, I eat the pizza, mm -hmm. and it actually ends up being a very romantic night. He tells me he really just enjoys spending time with me, even if we're only being affectionate. He's holding me in his arms, and we fall asleep watching this old movie on TCM where Olivia de Havilland's husband has her committed to a mental hospital, which in retrospect was extremely apropos. And in the end, even a few years later, when we finally clear the air about my heartbreak and what had gone wrong in our relationship, yelling at each other on a street corner the way all good Italian Gemini comics should, he looks at me and goes, remember that night we had to go and buy that stupid pill? I had fun that night. And through tears, I smile and say, you know what? Me too. Thank you. Now, switching it up, 
The narrator of our next story finds his inability to refuse another wedding invitation, leading to a series of embarrassing social interactions, forced mirth, and, ultimately, a dark conclusion. Here's Angela Cobb performing Terror in Virginia, written by Ryan Holmes. Uh, to work on this because I'm very excited because Brian actually has more of a long-form project that this story is part of tonight. So without giving, I'll trust you to not give away too many spoilers, but I thought maybe you could try to tell the audience here a little bit about the collection that you're working on I that just, we're going to hear yeah. a little bit of tonight. Sure. I go to a lot of weddings, and <laughs> <laughs> they're starting to... Um, wear on me a bit. <laughs> uh, and um, I'm, so I'm writing a book about all of my wedding experiences, and I won't give away the title, um, but uh, a few strange ones have happened. Um, you'll hear about one of them, but uh, that is in the coming. Um, you know, I went on a retreat to go, uh, I, I self-imposed writer's retreat yes. to go work on it in the Berkshires. And I figured it would be good to go on in like a, 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 a relaxing retreat. So I booked it at this spa hmm. area. Uh-huh. And I walked into, I had, oh, and I got a speeding ticket on the way there. And, uh, which was really throughout the trip from when I got there. And I got into the spa, the hot tub that I had been waiting the whole time had this totally naked old guy in it. And I didn't realize that it was a totally nude uh, so, so that was frustrating, and um, he was like very blatantly massaging his genitals on that. I haven't done much work on the book since. So the last story this evening is Terror in Virginia, written by Ryan Holmes and performed by Angela Cobb. Terror in Virginia. Out of all the weddings, you don't want to go to. This one sounds the least desirable. My psychiatrist said when I told him I was considering going to my friend Emily's wedding in Virginia. Emily, her fiancé, and I met when we all attended the same drama department in college. I agreed with my therapist, but at this point, I had said yes to so many weddings that I had no idea how to refuse an invitation. I even had the text written out. Hey, my love, I'm so sorry I won't be able to make it to Virginia, but I hope you have an amazing time. Congratulations! Before I sent it, I thought about cutting a rug on the dance floor with some of the other friends I knew would be there. I like those people. (laughs) Maybe I should go. I would at least have fun dancing. At nearly every wedding I attend, the marrying couple has the DJ or band play the Ignition remix or the Step in the Name of Love remix, both by my favorite, R. Kelly. Yes, favorite. (laughs) Deal with it. (laughs) When these songs come on, people pull me to the center of the dance floor, and if it's the latter, I'll even lead the corresponding line dance known as the love slide. I thought about the potential of these moments and how much fun I might have. Now, a major drawback with any wedding is how expensive they are. I would have to rent a car, but living in New York, I'd jump at the chance to drive. I would have to pay for a hotel, but I do have a strange proclivity for hotel rooms. I don't want to go to this wedding, but I enjoy weddings in general. (laughs) About 25% of the time. (laughs) 20. 19. 
<laughs> one slip of my one slip of the finger on my cell phone would have saved me. But once I imagined celebrating with a few of my closer friends, certainly not the bride or the groom, I deleted the text I had written, wrote, I'll be there, and hit send. At that point, I knew I'd be attending. What I didn't know was that by the end of this wedding, somebody would end up dead. <laughs> Emily was happy I was coming to her wedding, but I wasn't initially sure why I was even invited. We had a lot of mutual friends who were much closer to her than I was. They weren't invited. Emily and I barely hung out. She graduated Syracuse a year before I did. We weren't particularly close when we both lived in Los Angeles. And now had the fact that I was in Brooklyn and she was in the faraway galaxy of Astoria to contribute to our lack of camaraderie. We mostly ran into each other at mutual friends' parties. Or weddings. I found that at her engagement party, the reason I was invited and our mutual friends were not was because I had not slept with her. <laughs> While most of my friends had. She didn't want to invite anyone to the wedding with whom she had been physically intimate, which greatly narrowed the field of potential attendees. <laughs> the exception to this rule was our friend, who had had sex with both the bride and the groom. <laughs> At different times. And then it was okay. <laughs> I should have slept with Emily in college. <laughs> or maybe I should have jumped in line when she had sex with my two roommates on back-to-back -back nights when we both lived in L.A. <laughs> I also knew the groom, Brandon. He was a few years my junior at Syracuse, but no matter how much I tried, I could not for the life of me remember that it was he Emily was getting married to. <laughs> I haven't even mentioned his name until now. <laughs> Something about this wedding just felt off. I didn't buy the couple, no matter how in love they may be. I didn't have the money to spend on yet another destination wedding. But I went, and it was terrific. <laughs> in the literal sense. The literal meaning of terrific is inspired by terror. <laughs> the wedding was at some fancy land development in the small town of, in the small Virginia town of Hamilton. And no, there weren't any cool rapping presidents or treasury secretaries. I thought I had left my hotel with enough time to get to the venue before the show started, but as I drove in, I could see and hear the ceremony beginning. The venue staff had me park up on a nearby hill. Just beyond the hill, there was a house with a yard that had two terriers running amok. I didn't think much of it other than the dogs seemed insane. But they were allowed out in the open. They must be fine, right? When I exited my rental car and began to gather my things, one of the unrestrained dogs headbutted me in the back of my thigh. Scared, I got back in the car and closed the door. Already late, I heard the officiant begin the proceedings just down the hill. Embarrassed by my tardiness, I waited for the headbutting dog to go far enough away to where I hoped I could nonchalantly walk down the hill with neither one of us disturbing the other. I got back out of the car a second time and, as casually as possible, began making my way down the hill wearing my Ryan Seacrest Distinction Midnight Blue suit. Oh no. The dog started barking again, ran up to me, and bit me in the back of my thigh. Fuck! I yelled. <laughs> The dog owner came out of his front door and asked if I was okay. I replied angrily, well, I just got bit. He said, let's take a look. It's here, I said, pointing very close to my ass. He said, he didn't break the skin or anything, did he? I said, uh, I don't think so. He replied, okay. 
He's just excited with all the traffic. I said, gotcha. And made my way back down that motherfucking hill. <laughs> what was I supposed to say at that point? Probably not, gotcha. But I was not in an ideal mental or physical state. With the wedding underway, I tried to limp into proceedings as sneakily as possible. However, the most hidden path to the back row of chairs was made of gravel. <laughs> Crunch. 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 <laughs> Everyone could hear me come in. Sitting in the back row on one butt cheek, I waved to husbands of friends who were in the wedding party, faked the smile, and endured the second most painful wedding ceremony of my life. While I writhed in pain, my skin burning, I witnessed the cheesiest, most cliche-filled wedding ceremony I had ever seen. I already didn't buy these two as a couple, so this didn't help. Their friend who was marrying them waxed broetic. <laughs> Comparing their union to the sun and the stars <laughs> and other nauseating-inducing hot spheres of plasma. <laughs> Once the ceremony was over, the couple took a picture of all their guests immediately after they announced, Brandon and Emily are pregnant! <laughs> a fact that 100% of the audience already knew. <laughs> I guess this was one moment our acting degrees came in handy. <laughs> As they were taking this photo of false surprise and forced surprise and forced happiness, I turned to my college friend Jamie and said, I just got bit by a dog. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Do I need to go to the emergency room? She gasped. Oh my god! Well, I think you're okay if you didn't break the skin. When we were finally done taking those goddamn pictures, I went into the bathroom to check. There was no mirror, so I couldn't see the back of my leg. Jamie offered to come in the bathroom with me. I said, I'm gonna see if Lundy will do it. His dad's a doctor. I was referring to Matt Lundy. A guy in Brandon's class and in the wedding party, to whom I had been very close, and for whom I had at one point had unrequited, allegedly, romantic feelings. <laughs> Lundy walked by, and I asked Jamie to tell him what happened. She said, Ryan needs you to come in the bathroom with him, because he just got bit by a dog, and he needs to pull down his pants so you can have a look. <laughs> <laughs> Lundy said, Oh my God, you did this on purpose. <laughs> I said, I would. I would do this on purpose, but not this time. We made our way to the washroom with Lundy repeatedly saying, nothing to see here, on our way in. <laughs> we went in together, locked the door, and I dropped my pants. He muttered, oh, oh. <laughs> did he break the skin? He did, he did. Should I go to the hospital? No, no, let's just get you some Neosporin, but you're fine. He even offered to FaceTime his dad, Dr. Lundy, but I declined. <laughs> Enough Lundys had seen me pantsless for one night. He took me to the next door over from the bathroom where a gray-haired, bearded gentleman was fiddling with the lighting and sound controls. He introduced him as Henry, the owner of the wedding venue. Henry was an older man, around my height, in good shape for his age, and dressed in a black suit for the wedding he was hosting. Henry simultaneously exuded an aura of compassion and toughness. Lundy told him what happened, and Henry said, Oh my God, that's never happened before. That guy just moved in about a month ago, and we don't know him. Let's do a little better than Neosporin. We'll get you cleaned up. Henry left his post at the wedding venue to take me up another hill to his house. I followed him, embarrassed. 
I was about to have to drop my pants in front of this old stranger. <laughs> On the way to his bathroom, he greeted and hugged his son, who had just returned to, from college for summer break. He said, Cole, this is Ryan. <laughs> we shook hands. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> Henry and I got to his upstairs bathroom. We went in together, locked the door, and I dropped my pants. <laughs> He applied hydrogen peroxide and triple antibiotic cream. He said, I'll give you the name of the dog owner, and you can do what you want with it. He used to be a linebacker at Penn State. My initial thought when he said that was, I don't want to sue anybody who got molested. But Jerry Sandusky had not molested the college athletes, just the younger summer camp, camp athletes. I should have sued. Henry quipped, yeah, he's not much of a linebacker anymore. Looks like he's eating one too many Cheetos. <laughs> I pulled up my pants, and my new friend Henry and I headed back to the reception. All I could think about was rabies, but everyone kept telling me to just get the bike checked out by a doctor the next day when I got back to New York. On the way back down, Henry said, I bet some whiskey will make you feel better. I said, actually, I stopped drinking three and a half years ago. So that was out. Though there was a moment during that god-awful ceremony where I thought, you know what would make the pain go away? I went to my friends and semi-friends and I pretended I was having a good time while writhing in pain and worrying about rabies. <laughs> Henry checked in on me periodically throughout the course of the night. When dinner was served, he said, Ryan, you've got to try the brisket! It's like an aphrodisiac! It will make the pain subside. I think Henry was looking for a different word there, <laughs> but I knew what he meant. I went through the motions, socialized with friends, posed for pictures, danced to Justin Timberlake, Bruno Mars, Backstreet Boys, and yes, R. Kelly. <laughs> Pitch black in the hills of small town Virginia, I was a bit out of sorts and couldn't find where I parked. So I went back into the wedding venue and found Henry, who always seemed to be right there when I needed him. <laughs> Either he was a really nice guy well, he was trying not to get sued himself. I asked where I parked. He said, yeah, I think you're just up there. And then came out of his AV booth. As he exited, he said, oh, by the way, he killed the dog. What? He killed the dog. How? I think he just took him out back and... I said, I didn't want that to happen. Henry turned to his assistant and asked, Richard, why don't you clarify for Ryan what happened there? Richard, horrified, inquired, You told him? Henry replied, Well, it's what happened. And frankly, it's what should happen. You can't have your dog going around biting people. Richard explained the dog who bit me was a 12-year-old rescue who had recently been adopted and had been a nightmare ever since for the owner. I guess the dog biting me was the final straw. When I got back to my rental car, two of my friend's husbands were getting stoned after already being wasted. One of them, another Ryan, said, Dude, it's not your fault, man. When I was seven, our dog attacked me. I'll show you the scars. No thanks. They took the dog to the vet, and when they got back, I asked where he was, and my mom said, he wasn't coming back. And that really fucked me up for a while. <laughs> These stoners in the woods were my consolation. I shouldn't have even been there. I was only there because I never slept with Emily. <laughs> the drive back to my hotel, the Westin, in Reston, 
<laughs> Weston Reston, I started tearing up and shaking. I was in a state of shock, literal shock, partly because of the dog bite, but mostly because of the murder. I picked up some Neosporin, got back to my hotel room, alone, locked the door, and dropped my pants. <laughs> I did speak to a physician the next day, and as far as I know, I don't have rabies. Though it would have been quite the spectacle if I were to have entered the wedding venue foaming at the mouth, my shrink was right. I should have said no. And I almost did. The photos and videos from this event show this was the happiest day of Emily and Brandon's life. But this was a brutal, painful, fatal, terrific, shotgun wedding. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Thanks for joining us for this installment of No, You Tell It. Visit us on the web at knowyoutellit.com.